Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Nine on Your Side Sports Talk podcast. Today I'm with Joe Sampson, who is a former ECU football player who now works at 94.3 The Game. Thank you for joining me today. That was absolutely astounding as far as professionalism goes. That was, was a great it? job. Yeah. Thank you. I feel so official right now. <laughs> I'm doing well, though. Yeah. So let's, talk, let's start with you being an athlete right. at ECU. So how was that? Uh, athlete's a strong word. Uh, but I, I was on the football team for four years. It was great. Uh, taught me some time management skills that I don't think I would have been able to kind of hold on to had I not gone through that process. It taught me some perseverance through a lot of tough times and just overall just a great experience. Coach Houston runs a great program. He's got a bunch of great coaches who've kind of pushed me through life. I'm in contact with 90% of the former ones. A couple have just kind of lost touch. but. Uh, I have nothing bad to say by any means. Do you feel like playing football kind of helps you through here? You talk about sports. Do you feel like that keeps you connected or are you being knowledgeable about <laughs> sports, obviously? Uh, absolutely. I, I talk to probably 10 or 15 of the guys a day just between texting and, and keeping up with them. And I try to be there as a resource, not just like post football, but also like as a, a friend and a person and as a man now, just in a different stage of my life compared to them. But it definitely helps having that kind of insight and understanding coaches speak and being able to translate what he's saying versus what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. So it's a unique perspective, but I think it's kind of what makes me a little different than some of the other guys. Mm -hmm. So from a day in season, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. me and being a former student athlete, I talk about it on every podcast, but I feel like that's where we can relate. <laughs> right. So I, it's long days. I can tell you the day of a softball player, but what in season, what was the day like for you? Oh, that depends. Like what day? Are you looking for the heavy lifting day? Or are you looking for like the lift day? or the, Heavy lift. The heavy lifting day was Tuesday. Tuesdays was usually if you were banged up, like you had treatment at 8 a.m. You went to treatment 8 to 10. You got breakfast. You went to your classes, whatever class ran with. Mine was 11 to 150. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know, Coach Houston starts his meetings at 215. So you're you, sprinting. You better be in that chair at <laughs> two o'clock. So they'd pick me up in a pickup truck, drive me all the way around the facility, drop me off and be like, go, like run away. <laughs> so that was tough. And then you do that, you go meetings to special teams meetings, to position meetings, to practice, to post-practice. And then by the time you've probably gotten out of the facility, if you get treatment after practice, it's 8, 815 or so. And then you have homework. Yep. So the jump on that is also difficult because you're like, okay, I can wake up or stay up late and kind of do this when I need to. Well, Wednesday morning, you're rolling around, you've got 6 a.m. left. 6 a.m., yeah. So it's a very different experience when people are like, well, you can just do your homework later at night. No. No, no I cannot. <laughs> no. I have to be up in four hours. I cannot start a paper now. Did you so. guys have to do like 15 minutes early for 6 a.m. like we did? Yeah. I mean, I was walking in the door at like 5.40. Yeah. Because I was terrified. Big John and Coach Farmer were taking roll at 5.35. Yeah, 5.35. So 5.35. He was starting to check people oh, off the box. Man. Oh, and man. See, that's why like a 2 p.m. practice, you need to be in the locker room at like, I don't know, 12.45. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So like, like 1.15, I thought I was late. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like sitting there like, oh my God, I'm late to practice. Because if you're not out there a half hour mm -hmm. early, already stretching. Literally. Because they expect you to be, anybody who wants to become a student athlete in college, doesn't matter what level you're at, I'm sure it's all the same. If your practice is at two, if you're not already stretching by 1.30 mm -hmm. and by two o'clock you are ready to practice, 
You, You're done. <laughs> you need to just accept that whatever the hour says, push it forward one. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, practice starts at two. You're out there at one o'clock. Exactly. So. so how do you feel like Coach Houston took practices? What do you think were some of his big things that he actually implemented into games? Uh, mindset-wise or on Yeah, probably mindset-wise is he made practices a lot harder than I'd say they needed to be, but that was for good reason. Some coaches kind of lean into the games are the hardest part, but Coach Houston tried to prepare us so much for game day that he would make practice like a war zone. <laughs> uh, we were full contact on Tuesdays. We were still hitting on Wednesdays. By the time Thursday came, you were just like ready to go because you'd basically played two games already. Yeah. And he did a good job at trying to keep us fresh and doing all that, but also making sure that when we got to game day, we weren't intimidated or thrown off as far as what the atmosphere would be or the indications would be. Uh, he does a great job with your mindset of understanding like things are going to be hard. You're mm -hmm. going to have to push through it. Sundays, if we lost or won, we were running. Like that was conditioning oh, day. Oh, really? So you had your four quarters, you had your Sunday fun day as it was referred to. Ironically. It's not a fun day. No, oh, I remember those. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so he just kind of like forced you if you were having tough things to push through it. Like you weren't allowed to crumble under pressure. And I've kind of taken that with me and like there's no situation I seem to find myself in where I'm like, I can't do this. Right. I can't handle it. I'm like, huh, well, I got through that Tuesday after that loss. I'm going to be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. The punishment runs and whatever. I don't know if you guys did punishment runs, but we did plenty. Hypothetically, there may have been one or two times we ran the fourth quarter again because we didn't play well in the fourth quarter. Oh, but wow. no, there's no punishment runs of any kind. Coach Houston does not believe <laughs> in punishment for yeah. lack of effort or performance. See, I feel like I didn't get that. And I talk about my head coach at East Carolina, Corny Oliver. If you happen to hear this, this is not a knock at you, but we did do a lot of punishment runs because I think that was just her mm -hmm. mentality. Yeah. Um, I don't play on the baseball team, so I don't know, but I know Cliff Godwin is kind of that I, way. I could see that. Because he's, I mean, look how good they are. Yeah. You kind of have you, to be. When you have a standard like that, like if you're not meeting the standard, I can understand the negative reinforcement because you're not going to go backwards. Right. And Houston says the same thing a lot, where he's like, we won't go backwards. We've changed the program. We've changed how it's done. We're not going to go back to what it was. How do you feel like he's changed the program? I, everybody can see that, obviously. I mm -hmm. can't. It's difficult to kind of put it into words, but it's it's the feeling. I mean, we got here with his freshman class, and we went three and nine, and, and you just kind of felt like that wasn't what we wanted to do, and that wasn't the atmosphere that he wanted to create. And he's won at so many different programs in so many different places that you kind of buy into what he's saying like a little more. He's like, we've done this in the past. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how this is going to go. Mm -hmm. And you kind of start to pick everybody else up, and you're like, we don't bend over like when we're tired. Like, we don't show we're tired. We push through this extra rep. We run one more sprint. If they tell us to run 12, we run 13. Yeah. And he kind of built that form of accountability, I guess is the way to put it, and it was a, a personal accountability as opposed to, like, coach accountability. Mm -hmm. So it's guys picking each other up. Like, that's not what we do. Like, we're running that rep over, coach. Like, right. that doesn't count. And right. that's really kind of carried over into this team now. Do you feel like Coach Houston has kind of brought in a different mindset? I know a lot of Pirate fans mm -hmm. say the program really changed when Coach Houston got here. Right. Obviously, we had mentioned he brought in like a different mindset, but what do you think really, really changed? Because the program changed, it seemed overnight. What do you think he did that made it so positive here? Because, I mean, let's be honest, in the past it wasn't great. <laughs> but then he got here and it kind of mm -hmm. felt like it flipped. He invested in the character of people. And that's very easy to be like, that's coaches talk. Everybody talks about that. But he brought in 
uh, Coach Teron Williams, who was with us for a while, and he spoke about being a man and understanding. He brought in etiquette dinners. He taught us business classes. They oh, had wow. us do financial seminars and understanding if you do get to the next level, how to handle your money. We talked to financial advisors who had done deals with players who went broke and deals with players who have succeeded in the differences. And we have age and education days. And now with NIL, they give us NIL education. And he, he bought into the people. It's not just X's and O's. Once you're off the field, it's, hey, how are you doing today? Like, how's school? Like, how's class going? Like, how's your mom? How's your dad? And he does a really good job at keeping tabs on a lot of different people in a lot of different places. I remember there was a story, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting there in his office one day, and I'm talking to him before practice. And he goes, how'd your brother's test go the other day? And oh. I was like, how'd you know that? <laughs> he was like, oh, I talked to your mom, and she was talking oh, to me about really? it. And she mentioned he had a test coming up. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> Did you know he had a test No. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Mom, for telling me that one. Uh, but that's just the kind of person he is. He just kind of connects with people, and, and you want to play for him, and he gets you ready to run through brick wall on Saturday. We've all seen some of those yeah. intense, furrowed brow moments. The intro video uh, this year mm -hmm. where he's giving a speech, were you in the locker room for that game? Have you seen the intro video for this year? I haven't seen the intro video yet this year. Oh, gosh. I probably was. He's given so many, though, like, now I, I can't really, like, determine which ones were what right there are a couple I remember I remember last year against NC State that was probably the angriest I've ever seen him was like it he after was or before before he was just ready to go that and was a I, heartbreaking game I would prefer not to talk about the ending <laughs> just the beginning but he had everybody ready to go he was yeah. like we know what we're doing we know who we are we know who they are and his normal rah-rah but he you can feel the intensity on game day because once you wake up in the morning he is like ready to get to the stadium six yeah. hours ago. So he brought a culture off the field, too. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest thing? I know he, you said that he talked mm -hmm. to your parents, but did he make you guys feel like it was a safe space to come to him off the field? Yeah. How did he, he do his that? His door was always open. And actually, it was, um, I don't know if he's upset with me telling it, but when his dad passed, he kind of told us that life's too short to kind of be in fear of anything. And he was right. like, my door's always open for you just as a father, as another man, and just as like a, a person to be there for you and kind of understand things and he was like life is so fragile that I don't want you guys to be held back by anything or kind of stuck in a situation where you make a bad decision because you didn't have somebody to come and talk to so that was kind of like one of those moments where like okay like he's really here for us he's not just here for the X's and O's. My grandmother unexpected well she unexpectedly got diagnosed with cancer last November mm -hmm. died within four weeks so I mean it was very it was almost like an unexpected yeah. death because it's four weeks you know right. after the last two she wasn't really there. And so I kind of had that epiphany after she mm -hmm. died as well. Because you think about it and you watch other people's best friends, family, and the, they, like, unfortunately pass away. Right. And you're kind of like, wow, that's really sad. You know, I don't I don't know what that's like. She was my first family member to pass away. Mm -hmm. And that I kind of had that, like, I need to do, obviously, don't go broke, don't waste all your money. But if right. I want to do something, just do it. Yeah. You know, and if you want to talk to somebody about something, just go talk to them. Because, mm -hmm. I mean... It's just too, like you said, it's too fragile, it's too short. You don't want to look back and be like, man, I really wish I just would have done that. Right. So I totally get that. But we did bring up NIL. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on NIL? That's a difficult question. And my condolences for your grandmother's oh, passing. I'm sure you. that was difficult for your family. Yeah. And it is a difficult thing to kind of narrow down and talk about because I feel like where it's going now is kind of sullied where right. it was supposed to be. Um, 
Holden Ehlers, who is a great quarterback here, now plays for the Seahawks, had a brand called Built When Broken, mm-hmm. and he couldn't use his face on the brand before NIL. Oh, really? So post-NIL, he was allowed to say it was his brand and market it and, and be in all these different advertisements and profit off of him being him. But some players who are now being told, okay, if you come here, this collective can give you this much money. I feel like it kind of tarnishes what it was supposed to be, which was that the kids who are benefiting off of university names could benefit off their own names as well. They were doing it because they wanted to. Mm-hmm, right. You know? And there are certain guys who like couldn't get a meal back in their hometown because they were a great player because that would be them profiting off name, image, and likeness. And now there are kids who get a Bentley for committing yeah. to a certain school or sign on the dotted line and get this deposited into their account. And I don't agree with that part. I agree with players getting paid for their name, their image, their likeness, like all these different things, like doing commercials. Mason Garcia does the Anson Belt commercials mm-hmm. and all those things with the Youngs commercials and these athletes who've gotten to like use their personal brand to kind of propel themselves. But I don't agree with here's $30,000 to come play at X school or here's more money to go to this school than that school. And it's not illegal, but it should be. Well, I feel like that's what uh, opened up the transfer portal mm-hmm. too. That's why. And I talked with somebody else about the transfer portal because right. for a while I was like, people are abusing it. But then you really got to step back and think of, okay, maybe they're just trying to get closer to their family. I don't know everybody's story. Mm-hmm. But it seems like 90% of the time it's just like, this school will give me more money. Okay, I played yeah. here for a year. Okay, well, they said they give me more money next year. I just feel like there's no um, loyalty to programs anymore. So people who can stay there entire eligibility at a certain program I applaud now which is sad because I don't feel like that's how it should be right and grad transfers used to be the one way you got out like immediately Mm -hmm. as you were like okay I finished this I can go play at wherever on my fifth year and there's nothing left for you here yeah nothing left for you here this is your chance to go to another opportunity and kind of set yourself up differently Mm -hmm. the one free transfer rule came in and then everybody was like okay I'll take one free transfer I'll go to this school this didn't work out me and the coach just didn't see eye to eye didn't gel whatever winds up being how it plays out now you've got players who are playing at their fifth school at the sixth school and it's kind of destroyed how we look at transfers because there are players who've kind of fallen through the cracks there was a receiver at North Carolina who tried to declare for eligibility and his former coach wouldn't allow it. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of claiming that he's ineligible because of some certain things off the field. And it's not by his doing. He was trying to move home to closer to his family, try and get a better opportunity. It there's Tez Walker, mm-hmm. correct? Tez Walker. And then there's another one who went to Colorado who was not granted to play until a couple of days before the season because he had a coach unexpectedly pass right in front of him during one of his uh, games and then transferred to Jackson State with Coach Prime and then they left and he applied for a waiver to leave with Coach Prime because of the father figure aspect and like the the hardship and the mental tasking issues that have kind of plagued him after that incident by all means and the NCAA was like no like you've used your one free transfer but there are other guys who can transfer mid-gear right mid-season or or something and they find a loophole where they're eligible the next year so the NCAA is a difficult thing to kind of put heads or tails to it's a billion dollar nonprofit that is ran by a bunch of lawyers who refuse to put in litigation (laughs) and that's my take and it has been for quite a while that's a fair take I think we're in the same boat Mm -hmm. so you were on the team that won the bowl game Mm -hmm. this past year what was that like I think everybody would like to know I'm (laughs) insane I still kind of just it didn't feel real, didn't feel real playing in it. Pirate Nation was unbelievable to be in Birmingham, Alabama mm-hmm. the day after Christmas, I think it was, 26th or 27th. Yeah. Yeah. 
and like look up and just see like a sea of purple and it's 18 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this can't be real. Like I'm, this is a dream. Nobody is actually here right now. Like I'm asleep on Christmas. I'm gonna wake up in my bed, go downstairs with my blankie and go open Christmas presents like a six year old. And all of a sudden we're popping confetti and Holton's yeah. leading the band in the fight song. And like, we're just celebrating with all those great fans. It was unbelievable. And it's a culmination of a lot of hard work. We kind of circled a bowl game after uh, the military bowl and Boston College had to back out, <laughs> trying to find the most polite the words possible. Way, yeah. And it, it was really kind of tough because we are like, we worked all that time, like what was it for? And the strength coaches did a good job at like getting our focus back and I was like, listen, we didn't win anything. Right. Like you haven't done a single thing yet. Right. We, we didn't win the last game of the season. Like we still have work to do. And we really kind of hammered down and bought into that and we had some rough kind of things that would have shook us if we didn't have a strong leader in our program, and we did. Do you feel like the energy was kind of sucked out after the, um, like you said, the pulling out of Boston College, <laughs> the yeah. cancellation? That was the that was saddest I've ever felt a team meeting room in my life. Really? We were going to meetings, about to go to walkthroughs the day before the game, and mm -hmm. Coach Houston's like emergency team meeting. And he walks in and we're all like hype and playing music, yeah. and you've seen some of the videos, I'm sure, of us singing soul music, and old school R&B because that's just the guys that are in the program <laughs> and all of a sudden he goes Boston College pulled out and uh, the the look of despair and pain on like the seniors faces was mm -hmm. just I, I'll still remember it to this day like one of my friends who was actually my roommate at the time like crying in my arms like dude oh it's over like I'll never play football again and I he, had a friend like that that was mm -hmm. his last year and he didn't he just didn't get like the chance to say goodbye it's, it's, it's horrible. Tough. It breaks my heart because mm -hmm. I, I did get that opportunity and, you know, I did get the chance to say goodbye. And as hard as it was, I at, least I, at least yeah. I had that. But I remember I was an intern at ECU at the time. So I was a part of the marketing social media. Right. And so we left the day after Christmas. I left my family on Christmas night, came all the way back to Greenville, got up early the next morning. Mm -hmm. We're on the bus. I've never been to Washington, D.C. So I was very excited. We're on the bus, headed there. I mean, we are over halfway there. I'm with like my best friends on the marketing team. We're all excited. I have a TikTok about it <laughs> on my TikTok page. Um, and so we're about halfway there. And the doctor, I yep. cannot remember his name, but he's the team doctor he, for all athletics. Gosh, uh, I cannot remember his name. Uh, and it's gonna bother me now. Dang it. I know. <laughs> he got me through some times too. I know. I Same. feel so bad for blanking on his name. I know. But he came up to the front of the bus and Dr. told us Arden? that. Arden? Yes. Dr. Arden. That was his name. Dr. Joseph Arden. Yep. He came up to the front of the Shout bus out. and told him or told us that mm -hmm. we were turning around. And I have never been so disappointed. I mean, that was. So I can't imagine you guys, you know, I'm over here like, oh, I'm sad. But, I you know. called my girlfriend who was driving down because she was in Connecticut with her family and she's halfway. And I'm like, you need to turn around. And she just bawls through the phone. Mm -hmm. And I was like. That doesn't make me feel great because yeah. that's what I want to do right now. Uh, but it was, we had a good support system around us and the coaches were like, if your parents are around, like you can leave now, like we're not going to do anything to try and limit you from your families. And they did a great job to the kids that didn't have family. Because we had two or three players, I think, that were from like the other side of mm -hmm. the country. And they were like, if you don't have a place, like your room is paid for until like the rest of the time. Like just, mm -hmm. there'll be a bus at the end of this that'll go back to Greenville for you to kind of get back to where you need to go. And shout out to our operations staff and Jake Kirkendall did a fantastic job at just kind of like navigating that storm. Yeah. And I felt like with all things being considered, we handled it really well as a program at the end. So now you're here. How did you get here? That's a great question. <laughs> kind of asked myself that one. I, 
I had done a podcast with a former employee who was in my uh, capstone class, and mm -hmm. we recorded here in one of the studios. And he was like, yeah, we can use the studio I work at for the podcast. It'll probably sound better. And I was like, oh, okay, like you're one of the college stations, right? And he was like, yeah, kind of. Mm -hmm. And I pulled up to IBX Media, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is 94 through the game. Like yeah. this is the flagship and the home of ECU Athletics. Like I've seen this around the athletic complex. Yeah. So I started, I did one of those, and then another producer who's now at a different job was like, yeah, like you've got something here, like you should come in, do a couple shows, maybe see if this is what you want to do. And I was on the Patrick Johnson show, I think one time before, might have been break. Then mm -hmm. uh, I did like a little drop-in or something, and he calls me on spring break vacation in Vegas. He's like, hey, buddy, because you know Patrick. <laughs> yeah. I've, he uses my name very few times. It's usually Buddy. Yeah. It's like, I uh, want to run something by you. Would you have any interest in kind of being on my show a little bit and doing some stuff for football season? And I was like, sure. Yeah. And then next thing I know, I turn around and I, he had like the corner and I did some hold my beers, which is just kind of like your takes. And I did some analysis. And then all of a sudden, I'm doing other stuff. And I'm at the baseball games, and then I'm talking this, and then I'm interviewing Cliff, and then I'm here, and then I go joins up, and I'm doing Hoist the Colors, yeah. and it's been a whirlwind. And then all of a sudden now with the pregame show, which is the fastest two hours in radio, as Patrick refers to it, it's just kind of been like a crazy loop around, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Patrick, I feel like, has a good feeling for people with a good voice, mm -hmm. because I was lucky enough for him to pick me up and say, right. you want to come commentate softball? I've never commentated a softball game in my life. I had a similar thing happen. I played for <laughs> 17 years, but I've never commentated. Yeah. Right on ESPN, and he's you know telling me it's going to come in the booth, and I'm on camera, and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, my first game was awful. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. I was terrified. Color commentary is, is tough to do. It's not easy. Uh, last week, he, he or two weeks ago, he called me. He was like, hey. Jason Halter, who's one of the oh, ESPN well, Plus love guys, him. love Jay to death, former ECU tight end also, is in West Virginia, uh, normally calls these Friday Night Rival games on CW and TV for Friday Night Football. Mm -hmm. So like, you have any interest? I was like, yeah, why not? So all of a sudden I'm like thrusting, he's like, you ever call or commentated before? I was like, no, no. Patrick. <laughs> I've been out of football for six months. <laughs> when would I have done this? And he's right. like, ah, you're going to be fine. You're going to do great. Uh, so it's a very different thing because like what you see is not what they see. So when you go to yeah. the replay, it's a lot easier and you can kind of highlight some things. But talking through something while they can't see it yep. Yep. Is, is definitely a talent and an art that I'm hoping to learn. Is anybody in your ear telling you they're going to replay it or we anything? Had, uh, we have, yeah, they could have done talkback, but normally I'd like press a button and be like, can you replay that again, like through talkback? So mm -hmm. I could be like, okay, so here you see like number 22's over here, like we want to yeah. get him the ball on the outside. And that, once you got the feel, was a lot better. But like for the first start, I'm like, you don't know what to say. Right. I'm like, is Patrick done? Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> is now the time to pipe in? But, right. Uh, he, he was very good at making me feel comfortable. And we have a good back and forth through some other stuff that I didn't feel out of my comfort zone, I guess is the best way to put it. That was one thing I struggled with. They're in your ear saying, okay, we're going to replay this, or they try to make a joke while you're talking. Oh, my It was one gosh. time they made a joke while I was talking. <laughs> I'm on air, and I stopped talking. And you start laughing. To, yeah, <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm listening to what they're saying, so I sound like a psychopath. Yeah. But I know. Well, in with Patrick giving you a nickname. <laughs> Tell them what that is. Uh, Joey Football is the moniker I was just kind of bestowed 
Uh, it's stuck. I'm not upset with it by any means. I've mentioned it on a couple shows. My girlfriend's entire side of the family calls me Joey. <laughs> and then my family, when I was a kid, used to call me Joey, but it kind of like evolved out. So now to have Joey football is really funny to see how it like came full circle almost. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about football, working here? Uh, I love it here. IBX Media has been a great place to me, just trying to let me find my my stride, I guess is the best way to put it, and I feel very comfortable behind the mic and, and doing these kinds of things, so I'm very thankful they gave me that opportunity. Uh, I'm very thankful that they kind of took a chance on a lesser-known football player, is the best way I'll put it, to kind of give some analysis and explain what I saw in the game. and. Uh, special shout out to Patrick Johnson for giving me some opportunities that might not have presented itself prior to. Shout out to Coach Mike Houston for taking a chance on the undersized kid from Panther Creek and letting him <laughs> kind of develop and blossom. Uh, I've had some, so many great coaches over the years. I've had Latrell Scott as a tight ends coach, Fontel Mines the tight ends coach, Coach Tesh. I've had Coach Jeff Hansen, Coach Byron Thweet, just all those guys just for giving me different pieces to kind of take with me and try and mold me into the man I am today. Yep. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right. I'll see you guys next week.